0: morning. Say, I am blessed. Now I'm going to imitate you. I'm going I'm to say back to you what I heard you say. I am blessed. I am blessed. I got hope. I got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Where? Okay, I'm just kidding there. Today we're going to be talking about hope. Uh, my name is Dave Lewis. I'm a friend of Treb's. I am a Presbyterian minister, glad to be here. I'll be here this week, I will be here next week, and I will meet with you here next week, which is July 3rd, and you don't get to take the weekend off, you'll be here, I'll be here, and then I get to come back July 31st. I'm going to do a a series of three sermons that all go together, starting this week, following next week, and then July 31st, when I come back, I will tie it all in together. And uh, we will have a, a great time together, so I encourage you to be here. We're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's a great book. You know anything about this book? There's some highlights in it. Tell me, Yeah, go ahead and get it out. Page, uh, Go to page 811 in your Bible there that you have. If you have your own Bible, it's Ephesians, first chapter. There's some good stuff in this book. Can you tell me anything about it? Come on, Presbyterians. If I went to a Baptist church and asked them to tell me something about the Bible, all their hands would be in the air. Now, what do you know about Ephesians? Paul wrote it. Paul wrote it. <laughs> Great. Wait, we're, we're moving. What, what else do you know about it? I, I like this. Everyone's like, oh, is he talking to me? Uh, what else do you know about it? He, ta- he, he writes that we are saved by what? We're saved by faith, not by works. Yeah, it's a famous passage in Ephesians 2. He also talks about Uh, Another part, he talks a lot about the roles of men and women together that sometimes in our modern world we think are kind of quirky when we read them, but he still has some good advice in there. Uh, And then in in the end part of Ephesians, he talks about something very important. What does he talk about? Well, Ephesians 6, he talks about the armor of God. I can imagine, he, he you know Paul, he spent a lot of time in Roman custody, and I can imagine him sitting there thinking, because he probably had nothing else to do in jail, looking at the Roman guards and all that they wore to protect themselves. And then I'm sure he thought, you know, our Christian lives are kind of like this. And so he starts writing out, what is the armor of God? So Ephesians is a great, great book. But the part of Ephesians we miss is the prayer that begins his letter. And that is today what we're going to look at. But before we begin, I would like to go to the, to the Lord for a, a word of prayer. So bow with me and uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us here. We know it is by your spirit you've drawn each one of us here. We pray for Treb as he is out and about doing whatever he is doing. We pray that he's enjoying whatever it is, that he will have a good time off pray for the folks here that have committed their time. We thank you for them and their gift uh, for the folks who are working with the kids, especially my kids. We pray that you give them an extra dose of patience. And we thank you, Lord, for this church that is reaching out to the community in new ways. Lord, we ask you to pour out your spirit upon us at this time. These words that I have offered are just my words. So I call upon you that you pour out your spirit and turn this into the proclamation of of the gospel as only your spirit can. Open our ears to hear, open our hearts to, to be faithful disciples. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen, amen. All right, go ahead, get, uh, get your Bible out, Ephesians 1, we're going to start in 15, I don't know if they have it up there, uh, but you have it right here, so I want you to read, or follow along as I read. Okay, Paul's opening his letter with this. Paul writes, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of his people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Here's where it really gets good. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be heard or, pardon me, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. All right, there are three things in that passage that Paul was praying for his friends that their eyes be enlightened, that they may see. Did you, did you catch it? It's all right, you can talk back to me. And don't make me start calling on you by name because a few of you I do know by name. Three things he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may what? First thing, yes, that you may understand the hope to which you've been called. Second, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be open, that you may understand the inheritance you have in the saints and all the people that have come before you. And then the third thing, what is it? This is the best thing, yes. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be open, that you may see the power that is available to you in the spirit. The same power that what? That raised Christ from the dead. Did you hear that? The same power that raised Christ from the dead, Paul is praying that the church might understand, is available to who? To the church. Yeah. Three things. Now, there's no way I can get to all three of these. And I'm thinking, if I were you, I'd be thinking, is he really going to hit all three of those points in the next 10 minutes? No. I'm going to start today with the hope to which you've been called. Next week, we're going to look at the inheritance we have in the saints. July 31st, when I come back, I'll wrap it up, I will, we'll do a little reminder, and then I'll wrap it up, and we're going to look at this power we have in the spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. What is hope? Let's talk, let's talk about that. What is hope? I went to church and asked that question one time, and a guy I thought it was being funny, it's a city in Arkansas, <laughs> you know, okay, it's a city in Arkansas, it's a girl's name, blah, 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 what is hope, though? Well, give me a definition. What do you think it is? Do I, need, do I need to play the Jeopardy music? What? Belief in something that better to come. Okay, good. Anyone else? Sure of something you can't see. Okay, well, I looked this up, and you're, and you're right. Hope, as a noun, is the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. Hope, as a verb, is to feel that something desired may happen we've all had this feeling at one time or another haven't we we've had we've hoped for something have you hoped for something ever yeah when I was a kid in elementary school I had hope I had hope that my parents for Christmas would buy me the Star Wars Death Star I guess I'm the only one in the room that ever got that present it was a great little action set it had the had the elevator that the, that the Darth Vader would ride on and it had the trash compactor you remember the first movie and they, falls in, I had all this stuff, I hoped for it, and I got it. Best present, even as you can tell at 37, I still look back, it's the best present I ever got. It was awesome. Hope is knowing something will happen, even though it hadn't happened yet. And when hope is fulfilled, the joy that comes with it is immense. And the Bible is about hope, is it not? Can you give me some stories, some people that had hope in the Bible? Anyone? You don't read your Bibles? Stories of hope. Come on, folks. Give it to me. I call on you. I'm going to talk to you. I make you talk back to me. Stories of hope. All right, let me help you. <laughs> Abraham, what was he hoping for? He and Sarah were hoping for what? Help? Yes. I know you read your Bibles. Uh, Abraham had hope for a son. Joseph had hope his whole life that what would happen? He'd be reunited with his family. Noah had hope that what? (laughs) Yeah, that he would survive the flood. Right, okay. Naomi had hope of what? That she would find love again. Hannah had hope that what? She would have a son. She was barren. David had hope that his rocks in his pocket that he was carrying with a slingshot would kill Goliath. Elijah had hope that it would rain again. And We could go on and on like this for a long time. But I want to draw your attention to the story of Moses. Talk about hope. You know the story of Moses? Give me a little bit of the details. I know you know these. What happened? Moses. He was born. What happened? Born into Pharaoh's house, yeah. The basket down the river, yeah, and and all that. Okay, what else happened? He grew up in the palace, and he had it all while his brothers and cousins and aunties and uncles and all that were out making bricks. You know, And he thought he had everything. And then one day, he saw one of the Egyptians beating up one of the Jews. What did Moses do? Killed him. So it doesn't matter how bad you ever feel about yourself. One of God's biggest prophets killed somebody. You're not that bad. You're going to make it. All right, so Moses killed this guy and then realizes that the word is out. And then what's he do? Runs away. Goes to the desert and lives out there, minding his own business. And then something very extraordinary one day happens while he's out with the uh, sheep. What happened? A bush is burning. He goes up to it. He's curious, wouldn't you be if there's a bush burning? There's no smoke coming out of it. It's not spreading anywhere. And you walk up to it and you start hearing God say, take off your shoes. You're in holy ground. Moses is sent back to to lead the people out of slavery. He finally convinces them, hey, this is God. Follow me. Trust me. Let's get out of here. Heads out to the desert, and then what, is, what happens when they leave? Something back in Egypt starts brewing. After that, yes, what happened? Yeah, Pharaoh says, wait a minute, I just let all my free labor go. So he gets the army, heads out after all the, the people that have just left, and they're you know, trucking it through the desert. They see this huge cloud of dust behind them, knowing someone's coming up. And then something even worse happens. What happens? They're stopped in their tracks. What? They hit the Red Sea. Can you imagine? You've got an army behind you. You have an impassable ocean in front of you. Do you ever read the text? What does Moses do? Well, he trusts the Lord. He doesn't complain about it. He trusts the Lord. And what happened all of a sudden? Enough water moves out of the way, enough dry land appears that everyone can get through safely. Psalm 77 remembers this event. It said, Your path led to the waters, but your road led through the waters. A road we never knew was there. Moses had hope. He trusted when he didn't fully understand how it was all going to work out. I think that's what uh, it is like for us in our lives. Have you ever... uh, Kind of like a car. You you drive a car, right? M- most of us, many of us drive cars. When you're driving a car, you can see how far ahead of you. I don't know, like a mile maybe. Uh, it Depends on where. you Well, if you're in Western, if anywhere west of I-35, you can see a mile ahead of you. Anywhere on the other side, maybe less. But you can really just see right as in front what what is right in front of you. But what happens when you get into an airplane and fly over that same road? What can you see? You can see where the road is going you can see where it converges where it separates you can see how all the roads kind of come together I've always thought that that is what it's like in our life with God we can only see what is right in front of us but God sees how all these roads converge and where it's going and we are called to place our hope in a God that knows how things are going to turn out having mortgage problems Did you lose your job are you having health problems I bet someone in this room is having one of those issues. We place our hope in a God who sees where all of this is going. And the plan includes safety, healing, and protection for us. But that's a good question to ask. Where is all this going ultimately? Where is life going? Where is society going? Sometimes I ask this question, where, what does all this mean? You know. My wife and I, uh, we have a microwave that's older than our house, actually. It just blew up. And we took it out, and we're going to replace it. And I got to thinking, where do I take this microwave? Where do you, does anyone know? I'm serious. I'm asking. <laughs> where do I take this microwave? Where do I take it? If I take it to the dump, where is it going to go? In the dump. My brother does submission work in Africa and Haiti, and he came back from Africa, and he told me, you know, Dave, there are parts on the east coast or on the west coast of Africa where trash dealers will pay $100 an acre to farmers, poor farmers, to bury our trash in their field from Europe and from America. Can you imagine, like, my, my microwave right now? I don't... When I, when I get rid of it, it's going to go into the ground, into some, someone's field somewhere. It will sit there until, the, I guess, the world blows. I don't know, until Jesus comes back, my, my microwave is going to be in the ground. Can you imagine the other trash that we produce? Like, how is the world going to contain all of our trash? How many people? Six billion people? How much trash do you think we produce in a year? Six billion people. Where is it going? It seems like in life we've created problems that we can't uncreate. Like, uh, w- last year at this time we were all worried about the oil spill in, uh, in the Gulf of Mexico and I was listening to NPR and they did a story about how there was actually an oil spill similar to this I think back in the 70's off the coast of Santa Barbara out in California and they say that they're still to this day getting uh, oil onto the beaches in certain places from an oil spill 30 years ago It seems like you go to the Pacific Ocean have you heard about this the trash heap in the Pacific Ocean all that plastic, you know, when we like, sorry, I know we're all using plastic in here today, but you know all that plastic we're using, uh, it's, a lot of it's just floating on the top of the ocean out in the Pacific. And they said that it is so thick in certain parts that you can't see the water. And Where is life going? I mean, sometimes it's hard to have hope thinking we're trashing our planet. Why? Because we want new outfits and new stuff. Well, I want you to go with me. Grit your Bibles. I want you to go to the beginning. I'm going to answer this question. Go to, and then we'll we'll be finished. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Go to verse 8. You know the story of Adam and Eve. God creates the world, creates Adam and Eve. Everything's fine. God says "Are two trees. You realize this, right? There are two trees that he says do not eat from. What are they? You you thought there was just one tree. And we all know it was an apple tree. Uh, what what tre- two trees did he say not to eat from? Tree of knowledge of good and evil and what else? Tree of life, okay? What happens? What does Eve do? What did Eve do? You don't know this story. Come on, people. What did Eve do? The snake comes up, talks her into doing what? Eat an apple. And then what does she do? She goes over to Adam. And thankfully, Adam said, no, I will not eat that apple. I'm a man. I'm going to be blah, 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 blah. Now, what does he do? Okay. Again, he starts eating his apple. And then they start to realize something. What do they realize? They're (laughs) they're naked. They go and they make fig leaf. I guess that's what all the artists tell us, that these fig leaf outfits. And then we get to Chapter 3, verse 8, right here. Let me read it. Follow along. and This is, this is a text we miss because we're so taken with the story of, Ad, of the apple and all that kind of stuff. We miss this story. Listen. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Stop. What is important about that verse? What? I think someone may have said it. They hid. What's that imply? They were ashamed, but the fact that they could hide implies what? Adam and Eve knew the Lord. The Lord came through the garden looking for them. And something tells me this was probably a regular occurrence. God created Adam and Eve, as the story goes, created them for relationship. God knew them. They knew God. And that was the way it was supposed to be. If they had not sinned, our Bible would be much easier to carry around with us and to memorize. Because it would only have two chapters. God created us and created us for relationship. For personal relationship with each other and with God. But the problem is that sin broke that up. But ultimately, Paul understood this. Let's get back to Paul. Paul understood this. I'm going to read this from, uh, from Romans real quick. Paul said this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we also groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Point is this. The ultimate goal, our ultimate hope to which we've been called is that God is tying all this back in together. What was undone by sin in the garden is being put back together and restored in Jesus Christ. The problems that we see in our world should not cause us to be despondent. We have hope that these things will be put back together. We have hope that when we die, this is not the end of the story. That we go and we have a personal relationship with the Lord and with the community of the saints as well. No more mortgage defaults. No more racism. No more garbage out in the Pacific Ocean and buried microwaves and fields in Africa. God is bringing all things together. And that is the ultimate hope to which we've been called that we look forward to. This is not our home. The homes we live in that after we leave and go to are temporary We're not going to be there long, and guess what? There's going to be people living in those houses after we leave. They're not going to remember anything about us. Because our lives here are temporary. We are called to the eternal kingdom, to be back into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should be the hope that guides you and moves you. That should be what leads you to China to do mission work, to share that news with others. That should be what leads you here in this community. This is not our home. We have a hope to which we've been called, and it transcends this. I'm going to close with this one illustration. I took a group of OU students, Presbyterian students, to New Orleans. You ever been to New Orleans? Have you ever been to New Orleans with college students? It's a whole different experience. We went down there to uh, work at uh, Presbyterian Disaster Assistance. We helped build, rebuild some, uh, someone's house in the lower ni- or the upper Ninth Ward. We were working one day, and this gentleman told us this house that he was building had been up to its roof line. And water, 12 feet of water, and it sat like that for a month. I mean, Hurricane Katrina just absolutely, absolutely devastated New Orleans. Only 60% of the population has returned. 60%, they lost 40%. There are still 43,000, 43,000 houses that have yet to be rebuilt. No one living in them. That's like in Oklahoma, that's like li- uh, losing an entire suburb. That's how devastating it was. $82 billion worth of damage, uh, 1,800 people died, horrible. And he told us about the, the neighborhood, no one was spared. Well, while we were working one day, uh, we were getting the instrument or the tools out of the truck, and, and I went back to the van, because that's what ministers do, when they see that that work is about to begin, we go hide and try to get out of it. You know? uh, so I went back to the van for a little uh, private time, a little, little prayer time, and the reading for that day was Psalm 77. And I read it, and it said, your path led to the waters, but your, your road led through the waters, a, a road we never knew was there. I'm thinking on that, praying on it, and then I look across the street, and there's this man in his 80s, sitting on his front stoop, and he's reading a book. And I look closer, and he's reading a Bible. I said, you know, Lord, that's what it means to have hope. This man had been through all, I'm sure, in his lifetime, I'm sure he lived a life of discrimination in that upper Ninth Ward neighborhood of New Orleans. I'm sure that he didn't get nearly any of the uh, privileges that you and I have experienced and take for granted. Uh, He didn't go to college. He didn't get to go on fancy vacations and big houses. And then in old age, he had a hurricane destroy his house. Yet he still sat there six years later reading the Bible on his front stoop. Why? Because he knows this is not the only life that we live, that there is something beyond it, and He is ready for it. Why? Because He has hope. Friends, that is the hope to which we are called, a hope in God that is brought about in Christ and delivered through the Spirit. Amen? Let us pray.